You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on diversity, inclusion, and understanding for Black cultures through conversations that help us connect to ourselves and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host, Monique Russell. Today in my guest chair, I have someone you are absolutely going to love. She is someone I'm happy to call a dear friend, known her for over 15 years. Her name is Peter Gay Philpot, and she's a digital transformation and healthcare IT consultant. For over a decade, she's been able to dive in and enhance the healthcare service and patient experience at regional, national, and international healthcare organizations by approaching digital transformation initiatives like a puzzle. That means she's using design thinking, lean, agile, waterfall methodologies, y'all, That's just a fancy way of saying she's really smart. (laughs) Her expertise spans across the United States, the Caribbean, and Latin America, but I know she's already offering up advisory services on the continent of Africa. Look out. But what I really, really like about her experience is the 360-degree view of healthcare, having worked closely in the hospital systems, supporting and training doctors, advising CEOs, and influencing policies and processes at the government level. You're in for a treat. Peter Gay, Philpot, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you, Monique. I'm excited to be here and to talk with you and your audience. Okay, so you are originally from Jamaica. You have heritage from Jamaica. You live in the United States, but in recent years, you had your first encounter or experience landing on the continent of Africa. What was that like? Well, you're absolutely correct. I'm originally from Jamaica, so there's already a a connection there with Africa, but physically going to Africa um, in the year of 2019, December to be exact, was very much transformational and life-changing for me. I like to call it, you know, the pre-Africa Peter Gay and the post-Africa Peter Gay. It was amazing just touching down and just realizing how vast the continent is, or even the country that I visited, which was Nigeria. It was just quite an amazing view to just see the, the, the magnitude of how large the country was, how many people were there. And then, you know, one of the things I would often say is this is a lot of people of color, but then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in Africa. So Africa is the place where there are many people of color, people who are black. So, you know, it was just really um, excellent to see individuals operating at such an excellent level and then feeling that, that connection between, you know, whether it's the food, whether it was some of the, the cultural things that I've uh, visually saw folks were doing that was very similar 
to, you know, how I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. So, I mean, I, I just had an amazing time and it did something to the essence and the spirit of who I am as a woman. Okay. So, I mean, wow. You said it did something to the essence of you. Okay. <laughs> I need to go deeper. How did that impact your identity as a black immigrant in the diaspora? Yeah. I mean, I just immediately saw the the connection or the similarities. That's probably the best way to put it between um, Lagos, Nigeria and Kingston, Jamaica, right? Both are cities. Um, of course, Lagos is quite massive, but just the similarities in food. But what was most striking to me was just how passionate people were. It was almost as if in Nigeria, there wasn't any thought of of obstacles. You know, everyone just had a very laser focus um, view of how they were going to execute or there wasn't any roadblocks as to, okay, I can't do this. I was going to find a way. So that kind of attitude and that kind of spirit really caused me to pause to say, hey, you know, I'm working with even more resources and then I'm inspired by people who may not have as much or may have the same amount, but they are really looking at ways that they can just overcome it. Every essence of their thought process was really um, lining up to that. So that really inspired me and, you know, changed a lot of my perspective and, and, and how I would move forward. Was there anything that you were shocked or, you know, you talk about the pre-Peter Gay, the post-Peter Gay, you know, was there anything that you felt like, you know what, I, I had no idea. This was completely different from what I expected. Um, a couple of things um, from, from a logistical, geographical perspective, I was really shocked as to how the population of Nigeria, that initially knowing that it was 200 million people, it that that really shocked me because oftentimes you know, we don't really look or think of the, the massiveness of Africa and how big it is, because sometimes we're comparing it on the actual um, map. We're comparing it to the United States in terms of size. So that's one thing that really stood out to me. Um, the other thing um, I noticed, there was a lot of people, younger people, and I noticed how passionate they were. And, and everyone strived to be at the top of their field, right? So there was no such thing as you know, I wanted to be a junior. I wanted to be a senior. I wanted to be the, the managing director. It, that was a common theme amongst most conversation, getting to the highest level of whatever field it was. So that was a, not necessarily shocking, but that was refreshing. And that was just really, um, you know, awesome to see and feel and hear how passionate they were to just make it to the top in, in excellence. Nigeria, Nigeria, we're bigging up Nigeria on the Bridge to You podcast because here's the thing, so many people would not recommend Nigeria as the first country you go to visit when you go to Africa. In fact, I've had some some people ask me recently, where should they go? And they they have never, ever been to uh, to the continent. Um, only some traveled to the Caribbean. Um, but they actually were born and raised here in the United States. And I said, South Africa. I gave a recommendation of South Africa to ease it on into the experience because I think it's a very different thing. But you chose Nigeria and you got some feedback when you told people you were going to Nigeria. Why did you choose Nigeria and what type of feedback were you hearing well, first of all, you know, I, I did get some feedback, some of which were not very positive, you know, like you know, there was 
different um, individuals that would say, well, you know, there's the danger element and, you know, some, some of the stereotypes also that we hear about Nigeria and certain parts of Africa. So there was a lot of that, but, you know, I had relationships with a lot of uh, friendships, I should say, with a lot of um, Nigerians. So I knew them beyond the stereotypes, right? I mean, I have a good relationship with you. I know your family. I know different, you know, folks that were from Nigeria. So, you know, there was already a connection and there's a, an unsaid connection, in my opinion, um, with Nigerians and Jamaicans around just the, the passion and the level of excellence that we kind of strive towards. So when I'm in school, in, in college, a lot of my friends were Nigerians. I went to church with um, folks from Nigeria and Ghana. So I was able to quickly overcome a lot of the stereotypes or a lot of the suggestions that people were suggesting to me because I had already lived amongst and socialized and had great relationships. So I didn't look at them through the lens that what was being offered to me in, in terms of negative comments. And then, you know, one of the other things too, you know, that could be said of people from Kingston, Jamaica. I've had those stereotypes where when I tell people I grew up in Kingston in the inner city, you're like, oh, really? You don't look like somebody that grew up in Kingston. I've had that too. So, you know, it was easier for me to sort of um, table those um, stereotypes and, you know, as with anywhere you go, there's a, a level of caution that you ought to exercise, right? If you're in Kingston or if you're in, you know, Dubai or wherever, there are some things that you would do, or even here in the United States that you want to caution in different places that you may want to, you know, caution and, and exercise, you know, some good judgments while you're there. So taking that into consideration, you know, I was able to just nicely and politely table their concerns and just move forward with this trip. Wow. Okay. Nicely, politely table the stereotypes because you had firsthand experience with people and you were able to dismiss or put aside and dismantle any of the existing stereotypes that the outside world, the media, um, limited knowledge people, you were able to put that to the side because you have firsthand experience with the humanity of people from that country. I think that is a powerful, powerful insight for everybody listening to this show, especially when it comes to diversity and unity among Black cultures. So now you talked about this nice and polite approach, and I want to dive a little bit more into your experience as a digital transformation and healthcare IT consultant. You have experience doing so many different projects and leading initiatives, you know, in different countries. And what you just shared from a personal story, I think connects very well to what you do in your day-to-day -day professional experience. How do you think your background has influenced your approach, especially when you're navigating cultural nuances and complexities, advising different governments and countries? Yeah, I think because I grew up outside of the United States in my earlier years, um, that has given me a, a different perspective to how I approach the different countries or cultures that I work with. Um, I understand that, you know, it's in, culture is very important and a lot of deals sometimes are either lost or tabled because individuals don't understand the culture in which they're going to work within. So for me, you know, having that understanding or even seeking out to do the research and not just superficial research, you know, just really diving in, eating the foods, understanding the people, what makes them happy? What, what is the, the communication in that particular culture like? And really participating or being an active 
you know, participant in the culture to get that full immersive understanding. That's one of the things I look to do before I even try to get in where I'm doing any type of transformation work, because that's where a lot of the work is, is in cultural context understanding. So for me, you know, it's easier for me to do because I grew up in a different culture and, and I've lived in the United States most of my life. But my earlier years, I understood sometimes being the minority. And I understood also sometimes when your culture is not looked up as being the more polished one. So I have all of those sentiments and understanding, and I know how to navigate and work with people from different cultures. And then I also know how to ask the questions that showcase that I may not know everything, but I'm here to learn and I'm here to align with you. And and I think when you have that level of transparency on the front end, because sometimes we'll get some things wrong or right, you know, within a particular culture, but when you show an inquisitiveness of learning and seeking to understand, you know, people will receive you well, even if you make a misstep in, in some of the cultural conversation or context. Okay, so that has my brain going in like 50,000 different places, because I want to jump into when you talk about knowing how to ask the questions. I want to also ask you around, you know, where you see most people getting stuck. But before we even go there, for the listeners, what do you do? So I am a digital transformation consultant, uh, specifically in the healthcare industry. So I go into hospital systems. I work with the leaders on transforming either their IT infrastructure and sometimes even their cultural um, change management aspect of what needs to happen in that hospital system. A lot of it starts with IT, but before you can do anything, you have to just look at the culture of the organization. So I help to write the strategy or work with the leaders on the strategy of how they can transform, you know, in people, process, and technology. So I said a lot, but for the most part, I am the person that comes in and align or help the leaders to transform their hospital system so they can drive for better patient care. And that may include getting new electronic health records, getting new software system. It may include helping them create an entire robust training and cultural uh, communications program. It could look a multitude of ways, but at the end of the day, we need to get them from level where they are to another level where they can drive for better patient care. My God, I mean, behavioral change behavioral change. That is so huge. Peter Gay, where do you think most people get stuck? Because changing habits and behaviors and technologies and systems with processes is not easy work. Where do people mostly get stuck? Um, From a consultant perspective, who's going into an organization, I think they get stuck at the actual people cultural context place. You know, in in forming a team, when you're going to a country, you really have to understand that culture and you really have to put in the time and the resources to get that understanding. Because, you know, oftentimes, you know, as you know, I'll speak from an American perspective, we may go into a, a developing country and we have some ideas, but if you haven't lived or you haven't really had that close experience in certain things, it's going to it's going to come out in how you communicate. It's going to come out when things get difficult. So I would say really understanding and putting that front end work to understand that culture. And and if, if you yourself 
isn't are familiar with the culture. Sometimes even having someone on your team that is from that particular region, I think that's even a, a, a very good um, strategy to have that person or persons on the team that is very familiar with that particular culture and how things are done in that area, in that region. That's important. Okay. Now, when you when you talked about like being able to go in, I love that. Go in, understand the cultural context and be able to ask questions, like relevant questions, questions that can extract what it is that you actually need. Say a little bit more about what you mean in that regard. So, yeah. So for me, when I go into a particular uh, country to do any type of transformation work, um, sometimes, you know, oftentimes before I get to the C-level executives, my conversation starts at the airport. It starts with my my driver. It starts when I go to the actual local store, just really have an open-ended conversation to just really get the sentiment of what's happening in the country, how people are feeling about social issues, how individuals, you know, celebrate themselves, just to have that wide, vast understanding from different perspectives, not necessarily from the perspective of the leaders that I'm going to support, but just really from the perspective of the people who will benefit from the some of the decisions that we're about to make or suggest. So I usually start bottom up to really get a very good understanding. Sometimes it could be going to a, a coffee shop and or going to an event, going to a cultural event, um, going to someone's home. So I actually start my research, not in a so much of a formal perspective, but more in an informal setting and just let people talk and build relationships. And then you'll hear things that you probably won't hear in the boardroom and that you know, will influence some of the things that are decisions that you have to make. So it's not just one question. It's just a conversation and building a relationship with, with different people in different facets of society. And you'll get a, a more comprehensive view of the sentiment and how things are going. That's really good. That that reminds me of uh, an episode here on The Bridge to You, where we were interviewing Mbeke Waseme, who her topic was around relocation starts with you. That's the name of the episode. Relocation starts with you. And in that episode, she really talked about people getting outside of their comfort zone. And just really, if they haven't tried another culture, or if they are going to another location, to try to practice that before they go ahead of time, just going into a different city, trying a different restaurant, um, just really getting used to stepping outside of their comfort zone. I would have asked you what skill or what what mindset you possess in order to feel so comfortable, but you alluded to it a little bit earlier, you know, coming from the background where you have um, had previous stereotypical comments made about where you're from in Jamaica and just having that experience being sort of like air quotes under underdog and rising above um, that has actually given you uh, a competitive advantage really for being able to go into another country and to have these types of open engaging conversations I want to just move now into a little bit more about the digital transformation and specifically because you have this experience in Latin America you have this experience in the Caribbean a lot of your uh, technical expertise you've delivered in the United States and I want to really get into the technologies that you see or trends that you see 
as most promising for addressing health health disparities. I grew up in the beautiful islands of the Bahamas. And I will tell you, just like many other countries in the Caribbean and around the world in Africa, when it comes to healthcare, there's the, the place that everybody goes and the place that everybody doesn't want to go. And there's a lot of issues when it comes to healthcare in developing countries, resources, um, challenges around just the whole human resource aspect, technology, et cetera. With that in mind, like what possibilities do you see and what type of technologies can help us have a better healthcare experience? Yeah, absolutely. So before we even get to the actual new technologies, I think what I've seen um, across the board is just a lot of infrastructure challenges. So addressing those infrastructure challenges, and when I say that, I mean internet connectivity, um, you know, making sure that there's adequate uh, bandwidth and backup systems for the infrastructure that currently exists, you know, securing the data. So there's an infrastructure challenge, and then there's also a resource resource challenge because as you know with the um with the Caribbean and even some parts of Africa there's the migration challenge right of the brain drain so those two things that are in play it, i think is what kind of feeds to some of the um the lack of access or the 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 lack of thereof in in some of the healthcare um systems that is in those regions and we have some of the same challenges here in the United States it may be more from a, a bandwidth perspective so that's one thing so i always look at how to you know help to alleviate those problems first because then you have to build the other technologies on top of the proper infrastructure the other thing that you know i see that sometimes is often overlooked is the knowledge skill right the the the, the workforce and the upskilling that needs to happen in those particular countries because as a direct result of the migration there is also you know a lot of skill set that needs to be just you know lifted up or or infused into the health system and when i say skill set i'm not only talking about hard skills even skills around customer service skills around protecting data you know email security and cybersecurity skills and it could be at a foundational level so those are some of the things that you know has to be addressed in order to really bring some additional mainstream, you know, innovative technologies that we're thinking here. But one thing I call out to some of the, the clients that I've worked with in the systems in developing countries is the concept of leapfrogging, right? So when I lived in Jamaica as a kid, we didn't have a home phone. And I want to kind of frame this example up so that, you know, folks understand what I mean here. We did not have a home phone. We had to use pay phones. So this was, you know, back in the day, I'm talking about, you know, back in the nineties, early nineties and so forth. Mm -hmm. But after I left Jamaica and I came back, you know, some years later, everyone had like two cell phones. So when I lived there, a cell phone was a thing that we saw on TV, right? On the TV, we, we, no one had a cell phone that I knew of. And I left Jamaica in 1996. So coming back some years later and, you know, even the, the street vendor, you know, and the politicians, everyone had at least two cell phones. So what I realized was that this, the cell phone and the technology companies, they literally started to build more cell phone towers. And so they leapfrog over the concept of having home phones into this other mobile technology where, you know, a lot of things are being done on the mobile phones and mobile apps and so forth. So I bring that up because in other developing countries, 
there are ways in which they can leapfrog over certain technologies and, and move into what we call the new innovative spaces to really start to you know, create commerce or to really start to improve their healthcare. I think one of which, you know, we see more of is, you know, telehealth. So even though there's some still some infrastructure challenges in their main healthcare system, we're now starting to see, you know, developing countries lean into telehealth, right? So that's really one of the, the ways to approach going into the developing countries. Where are the areas where they can actually leapfrog over certain technologies and start to use the more innovative things that, you know, that is more common in the developed world? Oh my God, leapfrog, you say that word and I'm already getting excited, okay? Because I want to skip over two and three generations of whatever. Now I am inspired and I'm hopeful because the continent of Africa has the largest youth population in the world. And when I think about the Caribbean and I think about the continent, I think about Latin America, all of the resource and infrastructure challenges that we know to be true. And I hear you talk about going from the home phone to the cell phone. First of all, I remember taking carrying quarters when I was traveling to, <laughs> to make phone calls on a pay phone. Now we have phones that look like spaceships. Okay. So here is my question to you. Just imagine that we are in a situation where technology infrastructure is not an issue in these developing countries. We've, we've surpassed the issue around infrastructure challenge. We've actually addressed the stereotypical, nothing could happen over here that's well. In fact, I think some countries you know, have already done that where people go to them for medical tourism. What does leapfrogging look like if there were no restrictions, if there were no barriers, if there were no obstacles with the emerging technologies that you're aware of, if there were no obstacles, what would that look like? What future could we envision? Yeah, I think several. Um, I've had the opportunity to dabble a little bit in, in virtual reality and augmented reality um, from my executive MBA program at Georgia Tech. And one of the things I could say from a upskilling and a workforce training perspective, you know, with all the proper infrastructure in place, I think there's an opportunity to definitely leverage virtual reality and augmented reality and upskilling the population in developing countries. You know, many developing countries are individuals in those countries may not afford to come to different universities you know, across the United States or in other European countries. But, you know, if that learning especially that that hands-on learning can be developed and and you know leveraged to them in their own countries in their own languages i think that has massive opportunities there you know also when you think about some of the natural resources that is in africa that has to be um extracted by a different country because they don't have the talent and the skill set i.e. mining of gold and mining of other minerals virtual reality and augmented reality, I see where that could be leveraged to properly train individuals in a very safe way to actually learn these skills so that they're able to extract and do these, this type of um, mining and this type of work in their own countries. From a healthcare perspective, you know, we do know that doctors do leave and, and nurses do leave some of these developing countries being able to quickly upskill and give a, have a sense of a practice area that's another way in which you know those two technologies could be leveraged 
Um, the other one that I think of, you know, we all hear the buzzword about around artificial intelligence, and I definitely see where that could assist the, you know, clinicians and doctors in developing countries to really quickly identify, you know, diseases and things that are affecting their own countries, right? Um, so that could be leverage in diagnosis, in, 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 you know, medical information that needs to be quickly extracted. So that is definitely in play. Um, and I would say, you know, telehealth is a huge opportunity and we see how that is turning out as well. So if there is a limited number of providers in one particular country, let's use the Caribbean, for, for example, if there is a limited number of you know, ophthalmologists in the country of Dominica, they can now lean on a different, um, those providers in a different country, right? Or in a different uh, region of the Caribbean. So there's that opportunity for to use telehealth um, to actually bring care to individuals that who probably would not have gotten the care or it would have been very expensive for them to travel to leave the country. So, you know, and and we see how 2020, the, the uh, pandemic has created that opportunity for folks to be now embracing or more sensitive towards using or applying those types of technology. So I see those three as immediate technologies, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and the telehealth model that could be leveraged in um, bringing healthcare or any other industry in those developing countries to, to a really a higher level of standard. Oh my God. Okay. Y'all, I already told y'all she was smart. I already told, you're so smart. This is so powerful. I think anybody that is listening to this that can see the hope for the future, just imagine what healthcare transformation could look like where people, the most vulnerable in the community, can get access to better quality healthcare. What would that mean for your workforce? What would that mean for your boomers? What would that mean for your whole entire brand as a country and a nation? Peter Gay, you are just incredible. When you talked about the Dominica example, I started to think about, you know, how this would be integrated into policy. You know, policy would need to be a part of the conversation, because if we're talking about different countries, you know, of course, in the Caribbean, there's CARICOM. So that's an easier way a global body can roll out, you know, agreements and policies to support each other. But for those countries that let's say for in the continent of Africa um, and in different countries in Latin America and countries within the Caribbean and even the United States, you know, like this whole intersection, how do you see public policy connecting with digital transformation to shape the future of healthcare um, in the United States and even on the global scale? What do you think needs to happen here? Well, in the United States, I think we've done a, a nice job with, you know, the different public policies that are in place to sort of move the hospitals or the clinicians to a place of using more technology. Um, so that is very important. Um, public policy drives a lot in these developing countries, right? So it definitely needs to be at a top level. Um, to institute proper policy in, in, in embracing, you know, these new technologies or these new ideas. But what I found, Monique, is, is before we can even get there, and I say this nicely, um, and I mean well when I say this, educating the, the folks who are actually writing the public policies, right? Because sometimes there's just frankly a gap there. So here we have public policy leaders who probably may not know the intricacies 
of what the benefits of this technology is. So that's even another delicate conversation. I don't want to use the term lobby, but more of providing briefings to those individuals who are actually going to write the policies or influence the policies to bring them into a, a level of understanding as to what this means, not in the United States, but what this technology means for their country. So oftentimes, you know, we hear the buzzwords, but there's still a lack of understanding of just the fundamental understanding of what this technology is and what the possibilities are. So building a relationship with those individuals or in policy and having that conversation in more of a briefing format. And it will take time because with some countries, you know, it takes time to move policy through. Well, it takes time here in the United States. So it does in other countries as well to move things from an idea into policy. But a lot of times the I find the, the roadblock is a lack of understanding. So we need to deal with that first by, and then sometimes you know, offering just one thing, you know, we, we don't want to boil the ocean. So it could just be one problem that needs to be solved. And let's take, for example, the work skill upskilling problem, explain what that new technology could do and explain why it's important that policy needs to be in place so that it trickles down, especially in a country where, you know, folks look to policy to drive the, in, the, the change that should take place with whatever technology. Incredible. Bridge to you listeners, I told you, like, if you haven't gotten the nuggets, you're going to need to listen to this episode two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and you're going to need to share it. All of those things that you're sharing on WhatsApp memes and, you know, foolishness, make sure that you share this episode to every single person in your contact list. Right now, I have already gotten some nuggets. Go deeper into culture. Ask questions. Start at the foundational issues, the root. Leapfrog with virtual reality and augmented reality to upskill and transform the healthcare system. Educate public policymakers. Before we begin to close, I just have to ask, Peter Gay, your experience in healthcare is so vast. Why healthcare? How did you even? choose this career as a place where you wanted to create change? Well, thank you for that question, Monique. So I like to, you know, start stories with I was minding my own business. <laughs> you know, I, I come from IT. I, I come from the world of IT many years ago, and I pivoted and did some work for the, the federal government, specifically for the CDC for a number of years. And that's kind of where I saw how, you know, working for IBM and moving to working for the federal government, CDC, I saw a lot of difference between, you know, the two organizations. But, you know, I saw the impacts of both organizations. And from there, I moved into healthcare. So I, I, I consider working at the CDC for four years, sort of that middle ground that introduced me to healthcare from a policy perspective, right? And then I moved into healthcare from an IT infrastructure perspective, specifically around the digitization of hospital systems. And then I just immediately developed a love because that particular role or that period of my life involved a lot of training, involves a lot of project management and so forth. And I, I could immediately see the impacts 
when a hospital system uh, was digitized. I saw what that meant uh, for ease of use and ease of sometimes access to records or even seeing some of the mistakes that, you know, was avoided because now there's a digital system in play. So, you know, that really sort of was the cornerstone to me starting to look at, wait a minute, you know, this is a very useful, strong technology what happens to the countries that don't have this yet? So I knew there was an ocean of developing countries that would need this type of technology, this type of rollout, this type of roadmap to really, you know, push for better healthcare or even get better access to healthcare. So from then, and we're talking about 10 years ago, maybe 13 years ago when I first got into this particular space, but I always started to, I immediately started to look at what this could mean for the Caribbean and the developing countries. So I spent, you know, 10 years in the United States working with different hospital systems, digitizing, working in different capacities. And then I had the the novel idea after doing some travels and studies in Dubai and seeing how innovation was at play there. And I figured if I could merge the two and bring that to a developing country and bring it in such a way that, you know, there's a roadmap, because again, we know we have infrastructure challenges, but bring it in such a way to the developing countries in the Caribbean and Africa that will help them to digitize their hospital systems. It was just, it, it was just a natural fit like a glove for me. I'm from the region. I came here to United States to, you know, educate myself and to go back to school and, and do all of these wonderful things. I had a great opportunity to travel the world. And then I just put everything in together and, and see how I can reach back to those countries. And, you know, it, it helped that I, w- I had the opportunity also to study at Georgia Tech to bring that knowledge set in play as well. And here I am working with um, developing countries to digitize their systems. Amazing. Peter Gay, thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't covered that you want to share in your final closing words? Hmm, I think you've covered a lot. But, you know, one thing I, I would like to say is, well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. And I think, you know, for anyone who is listening, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done is is remarkable. But I, I do things from a, a passion of, I really want to see developing countries, hospital systems win. I, 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 you know, so it's more than just the title for me. It's like, I want the best result for all of the individuals that I've worked with and all of the teams that I've supported or teams that I've guided. So I, I, I look at it, there's a part of me that almost looks at this from sort of a ministry perspective, right? So I am a believer, but most importantly, you know, I do have, you know, a, a profession, but I, I look at it from the perspective of, I truly want to infuse change. So if there was no money involved in this role, if I had all the money in the world, I'd still do this job. And it's really a job around leveraging my understanding of the region and helping them to innovate and helping them to digitize so that they can have better outcomes for their people in their country. And then most importantly, training people to do what I do so that they can actually now take the mantle and go forward. So, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about this work and, you know, I just wanted to convey that it's more than work to me. It's like a mission and I'm here for it. This is 
purpose work. And I love that. It's such a pleasure and an honor to interview you, to know you. Keep doing great work for all the nations and countries involved. Bridge to you listeners. Oh my gosh, I told you from the beginning and you know I'm right. If they want to reach out to you, Peter Gate, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Absolutely. For anyone who wants to reach out to me, one best way is I'm very um, responsive on LinkedIn. So that's a very good way to reach out to me. I'll probably respond a lot quicker than anything else. Um, and I also could be reached at my email, you know, Peter at transformationaliq.com. All right, Bridgeton you listeners, until next time, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clairecommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.